Good morning, Bridge. How y'all doing this morning? Good. Good. I, I just love that anthem. I like, it's like the, the chorus of my life, I feel like. You know, that it's only in Christ that we can find our strength and our hope. So we live our lives for. And so um, thank you, church. Thank you, Paul, Pastor Paul and Christine. Um, I'm going to try to make it through my message this morning without being like a crybaby. Cry yeah, that's <laughs> without trying to trying not to cry this morning. That was uh, if you for those of you who don't know, that was my 82 year old grandfather uh, who Pastor Paul. Here we go. <laughs> okay, we're going to continue our series in Acts. Uh, called the Church in Motion, the Unstoppable Church, the Unstoppable Church, and uh, <laughs> and we're going to be in Acts chapter twenty, and uh, verse uh, verse. We're starting verse seventeen this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to there or your app. And there's uh, Bibles in the seats in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those Bibles and um, utilize it. We believe that everybody should have the Word of God accessible to them. And um, <clears throat> As you're getting there this morning, um, I want to kind of try to bring you up to speed on where, where we are in, uh, in this series. Um, I calculated, I think we're somewhere around 30 Three weeks, thirty-four weeks into the Book of Acts, and um, and so we are. We're, we still got a ways to go. We're in twenty. We got eight more chapters as we end out uh, the month of May, going through going through this book. And um, we're at the end of Paul's uh, third missionary journey, last missionary journey, and he's preparing to journey back to Jerusalem here in Acts twenty and uh, verse seventeen. And um, in the coming weeks, we're going to explore what happens there. But Paul ultimately. Um, is 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 killed by Nero in, in, in towards at the end here. But here in chapter twenty, Paul is uh, speaking to a group of Ephesian elders and um, Ephesian believers, Ephesian church leaders, if you would, um, church goers, church attenders. They're they're people who um, who had poured into Paul, and uh, this is the first and um, only message or speech that. Uh, Paul has actually targeted like believers per se. Um, if you look at a lot of his other messages through through the book of Acts, he's he's speaking to unbelievers, and sometimes he ropes in believers here and there, but not like the whole message is not specifically for believers. And uh, so he this is this this speech this, he's speaking to Christians, and um, this was his farewell speech, if you would, um, because he knew that when he he was aware that when he returned to Jerusalem, he wasn't sure what was going to happen to him. The Holy Spirit had spoke to him. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and he would probably be arrested. He would probably be punished. And um, so he summarizes his life to these, these Ephesian elders. And he summarizes the legacy that he hopes that he has left with the church. And, um, you know, this morning, I don't know if you have thought about this, but we all are going to leave a legacy like we're all going to leave a legacy on on some point in every interaction in every relationship this morning there's legacies that are left with the people who you interact with this morning in the lobby in your greeting time 
the way people think about you when you walk away, the way people um, look at you, those are legacies that are left. They're impressions that are left. Oftentimes we think about a legacy as something that's left after I die, but a legacy is left whenever I have an interaction with somebody at a Starbucks, right? And I'm getting a cup of coffee. I'm leaving a legacy with that person and that interaction that I have with them. And our legacy is, is something that we're remembered by. And, you know, Paul's legacy here is something above material, something above a physical legacy. It was a spiritual legacy that he was targeting and hoping to leave uh, with the church. And um, we as well will leave a same spiritual legacy. And I don't know about you, but I don't often think about my life and my interactions from that perspective. Like, I don't often think about, like, think about it with, from that kind of, uh, kind of reverse engineering, if you were to think about it like that. Like, what will I be remembered by whenever I leave? Whenever at the end of my life, when I leave this interaction, when I, when I leave this earth? And I think it's good for us to, to think about um, in Psalms ninety twelve, Moses says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to learn wisdom. Martin Luther, whenever he was trans, uh, translating uh, this verse into German, he said it like this. He said, Lord, teach us to think about death so that we might learn how to live. How does that impact your life? That's going to be a, a, a big push for our, our message this morning. Think about that quote. Lord, teach us to think about death so that we might actually learn how to live, that we might learn how to live. We're the church, each and every one of us, right? We talk about a church in motion. And if we want to remain unstoppable in the pursuit of spreading the gospel and living the gospel, we have to look at our lives through the end, with the end in mind, with the end at the beginning, that we might actually learn how to live from this perspective. Lord, teach us to think about death so we might learn how to live. What do you want to be remembered by? What do you want the summary of your life to be? Today, we're going to look at Acts here in verse 20 and verse 17. And I believe that Paul gives us a glimpse of what he wanted to be remembered by, um, his spiritual legacy that he hoped to leave. So we're going to, let's read through this chunk of scripture together. And, uh, and we're going to look at five legacy statements, I believe, that Paul wanted to, to leave with the church. So verse 17, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's read together. It says, from... From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus. Uh, this is, Paul went to Ephesus, and this is where he had, had been for three years. He sent, sent to the Ephesians for the elders of the church. He had spent the last three years with them. And he said, uh, and when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would, that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that, now I know that none, of you, um, among, none of you among whom I, I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you, declare you, declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. 
Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most in his statement was his statement that he would never see his, they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray as we look at Paul's example and the legacy that he left with the Ephesian church, Lord, I pray, God, that you would uh, let us take an inventory of our lives and the legacy that we are leaving in our interactions on a daily basis and in whenever we leave this earth and you call us home. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to look at this, look, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at five statements that I believe that Paul was intentional about saying that he was like, this is my legacy. I want you to remember this from me. And so the first statement this morning is, I have been faithful to do what Jesus told me to do. I've been faithful to do what Jesus told me to do. And it says in verse 24, Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, My single focus was to do what God has called me here to do. That's the only thing I came to do. I came to Ephesus to do what God has called me to do. I traveled on my missionary journeys to do what God has called me to do. The threats, they don't matter. The punishment, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a guy who had been shipwrecked. He had been thrown in prison. He had been beaten. Nothing else matters. My comfort doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is to complete the task, the assignment, the calling that God has given to me to testify of the good news of God's grace. It's a question for you today. What has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, God hasn't really called me. I haven't heard his voice tell me to do anything specific. We're, only, we're responsible to do what God has called us to do. Each one of us, as a church, as believers, we're called to two things. We're called to be in a relationship with him, and we're called to make disciples, to share that relationship with others. Those are the two things we're called to do. Have you been faithful to do what Jesus has called you to do. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 4 2. He says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The King James Version says that same verse and it says, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Steward's a servant, right? Like a steward's like somebody who, who serves faithfully and, and trust is given to them, but they're not in charge of the house. The master is in charge 
of the house. They're responsible to do what the, what the master has told them to do. Think about it this way. If I tell my broker where I to invest my retirement, right, and the company I invested in tanks, he doesn't take the blame. If it succeeds, he doesn't get the credit. He just did what I told him to do, right? How are we at doing what he has called us to do? See, success and failure are master words. Faithfulness is the concern of stewards. Faithfulness is what we're responsible for. You don't have to save the world. You're called, we're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. What God requires of each of us is faithfulness to what he has assigned to us. As a parent, this morning, baby dedication, as a parent, I'm called to be faithful in being a godly parent to my child. As an employee, we're called to be faithful to the, to the position that we are in. With relationships, God has called us to be faithful in those relationships. I think oftentimes we feel the weight, we carry around too much weight when it comes to this. We carry the weight of responsibility. And Paul says, be faithful. At the end of the day, you need to be faithful. It doesn't matter whether you know, your coworker necessarily comes to Christ per se, but if you are faithful, the Holy Spirit will, will do what he can do. God can do with more with one act of faithfulness than you can accomplish in 10,000 lifetimes on your own. I believe that when we get to heaven, we'll be amazed at the powerful ways that God used our small acts of faithfulness to impact the lives of others. As a parent, you'll be, I think we'll be surprised at the small acts of faithfulness, how they impact the life of your children. As stewards, success in life is identifying with what God has called you to and being completely faithful in it. My question for my life today is, have I been faithful? Have I been faithful? Have you been faithful in what God has called you to? I think the second statement that defines Paul's legacy in this section of Scripture is, I told the truth. I told the truth. And Paul says it twice. He says in verse 20, he says, You know, I have not hesitated to preach anything that, that, that would be helpful to you. I haven't hesitated to proclaim the truth. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul saw himself as, as a messenger. Right? He saw himself as like he was. That's what he was. The Apostle Paul, he traveled around as a missionary. He was a messenger to carry, what did he say? The truth of God's word, right? He, 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 was, he was a messenger to tell, carry about the good news of God's grace. And it was only his responsibility to deliver it, whether people liked it or not. And by the way he was treated, if you read, read through Acts, as we've talked about even prior to now, and what we're going to look at going forward, the way he was treated, some of them didn't like what he had to say. But Paul was serious about telling the truth, even to the point to where he's saying, where he says in verse 26 and 27, he says, and I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. He says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul says, I shared the gospel in its whole. The message is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for our sins. And if we accept that as a payment, for our sins and receive his grace, you will be saved. Paul says, I share the gospel. I'm not responsible for how you respond to it. I was faithful and I told the truth. I'm not responsible. I'm only responsible for telling the truth. 
And I love that whenever we talk about this, when I read this, and I see it, I see that Paul didn't, Paul's attitude wasn't characterized by like anger, or his attitude wasn't characterized by anxiety. It says in verse 19 that it was characterized by tears. It says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. What is our attitude whenever we are telling, we feel like we have a point we want to get across and we're telling the truth. Right? I mean, I look at myself and I know sometimes like I like to be right. How many people in the room like to be right? Right? How many of you guys know, you're like, you know that you're right? Come on, you're with me, right? You know that you're right? Like, let's be honest, like 99% of the time, I'm right. Right, Christy? She, she's not here to defend herself. Okay. Well, just believe me. 99% of the time, I'm right. But what is the attitude when you're telling the truth? The truth of the gospel. Is it in anger? You got to hear what I have to say, coworker. Open your ears. Hey, cubicle, do you hear me? No, like, is that what Paul says? Paul says no, with tears. With tears I shed. In humility, he humbled himself. When you share the truth, does it flow with tears? I think oftentimes it's somewhere between apathy and anger, Right? Sometimes it's like, I don't care sometimes. You know, we often have that, that attitude of like, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to stay in my cubicle. I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to leave. And it is what it is, right? When you share the truth, do tears flow. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap, over, leap to hell over dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Shouldn't this be our legacy? Let not one of your friends or family members go unwarned or unprayed for. Paul wanted everyone that he came into contact to know the truth, to know the truth of the gospel. So much that he cried about it. What makes you cry? Do you weep over lost friends and family? Do they know that? Do you weep over those that you're in relationship with that don't know Christ? Have you shared the truth? Do you share the truth? Paul's legacy was found in that he was faithful and he spoke the truth. The third legacy statement is, I directed people's attentions towards Jesus and not me. In verse 19, it says, I serve the Lord with great humility with, and with tears in the midst of severe testing. And I think oftentimes when you think about people like, like the Apostle Paul, like he was a great leader. Like people around the church knew who Paul was, even outside the church knew who Paul was. Like, And oftentimes in our world and culture, this is not the characteristics of how people would describe um, a great leader. Paul says, I'm a man of humility, trials and tears. In fact, 
the word humility here in this verse 19 um, in the Greek was almost always used as an insult. It, was, it means like low, defeated, weak. But the Bible uses it almost 200 times, and every, almost every time in the Word of God, it is used as a virtue. It's considered a virtue. See, Paul didn't want to leave a legacy of an example to be admired, but a Savior to be trusted. I don't want people's attention to be on me. I want their attention to be on Jesus. I want people to see how weak I am and how awesome Jesus is. God often uses tears and trials to keep us weak in ourselves so that we can be strong in him. The question is, do you direct people's attention towards Jesus? When you walk through trials and shed tears, do they point to the strength that is found in Christ alone? Try to share this without crying. Okay. Um, earlier, Pastor Paul shared just a glimpse of our story. Eight years of an emotional roller coaster, lots of tears shed. And as I said, you know, 99% of the time I was right, so I always wanted to fix the problem, right? I always wanted to find a solution to the problem. And I'm a pro- I am a problem solver, I wanted to find the answer. But in reality, it was when I was weak, in the moments of tears, in the moments of brokenness is where I found Jesus, where I found my strength in him. And I think about the number of doctor's appointments, the number of consultations and whatever, and people would hear our story, nurses and doctors would hear our story, and they would say, wow, what a journey you guys have been on. You all have been through a lot. But yet, Christy, you smile every time I see you. Doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, how do you keep a smile on your face They would say, you are strong. It wasn't our strength. It was a strength that was found in Christ alone. And we would share that our hope wasn't in them as doctors. And sometimes some of them would get deflated whenever we would say that. Or their science, even though, thank God for the abilities and their their talents. But our hope was in Jesus Christ and his plan and his timing. And to be honest selfishly, it had been really easy to go about life during some of those years and just throw huge pity parties, right? It had been really easy to, you know, go home at night and be like, hey, you know, let's just sit here and cry and throw a big party and sorrow about me. But we had faith in God that even, that he had a plan that even in times whenever I felt angry at God, even at times when I felt mad at God, even at times whenever I questioned him, we still knew that he had a plan. And we found our strength in him. And we continue to point to him as a source of strength. Do you direct people's attention towards Jesus? When you walk through tears, when you walk through trials, where do pe- what do people see? Do they see you? Or do they see the strength that comes from Jesus Christ? Paul's legacy was found that he had been faithful. That he tells the truth. He told the truth. He directed people attention towards Jesus. And number four, I finished strong. I finished strong. After explaining what the Holy Spirit had told him, that prison and hardships were in the future, Paul says in verse 24, he says, my only aim is to finish. To finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Many people start, but they don't finish. They don't persevere to the end. Don't take this offensively. Those... You. But it's like a one-hit wonder, right? 
like I have some examples. They're the only ones I could think of. And, but like Norman Greenbaum, whoever, do you even know who that is? Do you know the song Spirit in the Sky? Yeah, one hit wonder, right? Okay, or Vanilla Ice and Ice Ice Baby. Like nobody knows any other song that Vanilla Ice ever did. They only know one song, Ice Ice Baby, right? I'll tell you this personally, many Christians are one hit wonders. They give their life to Christ and that's it. They don't finish strong. And I believe that there's one thing that keeps, keeps Christians from finishing strong and it's a distracted heart. It's a distracted heart. I want to follow Jesus, but I love comfort, so I won't do that. I want to do what Jesus says, but I also want to live here and do this. So, no, Jesus, not right now. I want to follow Jesus, but I want to be with him or her. I want to stand for and with Jesus, but I really need their approval. Those distractions keep us from finishing strong. Psalm 86.11 says, give me, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Paul said, none of these things move me. I just want to finish well. Not the trials, not the punishments, not the imprisonment, not the shipwrecks. None of these things move me. I just want to finish well. I don't need your approval. I live for an audience of one. If God is for me, who can be against me? I don't need your support. My God has promised to supply all of my needs in Jesus Christ. I don't need pleasure. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Paul didn't just want to start well. He wanted to finish well. And I, and I feel like this is the biggest thing that we say a lot, especially for those of us who are parents, are like, finish your meal, right? Finish your food. Finish cleaning up your blocks. But we don't take our own advice. Like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm telling you to finish your food, but I still got rice on my plate because I don't like rice. Or I still got cauliflower. Who likes cauliflower? Like, but I'm telling you to finish. It's good for us to learn as well. To finish well. High school and college students, finish school. Mothers, see your life as chapters and finish each one well. Men, you feel bored leading your family and using your, and using your career, use your career to bless others and spread the gospel. Finish. Don't stop at retirement and play golf for the rest of your life. Finish. You have a legacy to leave. Each and every one of us in this room have a legacy to leave. And practical advice, just for a minute, I think oftentimes when we think, talk about this, we think about legacy, and we think about, well, I need to look 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road about what legacy I'm going to leave. In reality, start today. Start with your very next decision you're going to make, the next step you're going to take. What legacy are you going to be able to leave? Today, what, I would, what will I do to leave a strong legacy, a strong spiritual legacy? What will I do in my next interaction that will leave a strong spiritual legacy in that person's life? What will I do that will last far past my lifetime? What conversation, what prayer, what interaction? Paul's legacy statements. I was faithful. I told the truth. I pointed people to Jesus. I finished strong. And finally, I gave more than I took. I gave, number five, I gave more than I took. Verse 33 and in 35, he, he says this. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. 
verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering what, remembering the, the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul thought a successful blessed life is one in which you give more than you take. Why? Because he saw what Jesus did. Look at Jesus' example on the night before he died. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, if I knew I was about to die the next day for any of you in this room, including my boss, Pastor Paul, that night wouldn't be about me serving you. That night would be about me. It would be about, look what I've done. What can you, look at that steak you're going to cook for me because I'm going to die tomorrow for you. It would be all about me, right? But Jesus, the night before he died, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He washed the disciples' feet. Jesus always gave more than he took. And that's a good question for us to ask in any of our relationships. Do you give more than you take in, any, in your relationships, in your marriage? Do you serve your spouse more than you expect them to serve you? In your job, your career, your money-making potential, whatever that is, who's it for? Is it about taking all that you can? Or do you ask, how can I leverage my career and my finances to give to the mission of God? God gave you your career as a platform to bless others and further his mission. And it's not just a calling for a few of us who have a title of pastor. Right? God didn't just call us and then everyone else gets to do whatever they want to do and live for themselves. Sorry, I hate to tell you that. It's ever, all of our jobs. We are the church, right? That's what I said in the beginning. We are the church. We are the church in motion. We leave a legacy. It's everyone's job. Everyone is given the job to be used as a leverage for the Great Commission. We don't work so at the end of the day we can get, have money in our pockets. We work so that we can have a greater reach in our spiritual legacy. So that we can give more. Greater financial capacity should increase our standard of giving, not just our standard of living. In your friendships, do you give more than you take? In your relationship with your, par- with, with your parents, children, do you give more than you take? That doesn't work with a one-year-old. Anyhow, and how you see your retirement. Is retirement a destination where you can finally make it about you, live at the beach and play shuffleboard all day? When, you know, I think about this when Christians talk like that. I said, do you even understand the gospel? That's what goes through my head. It's more blessed to give than to receive. To leave a strong spiritual legacy in my retirement, if we achieve financial independence, it's more, it's more time for us to share the gospel to speak the truth. It's more money to give towards the Great Commission to take place. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Why do you think that Paul thought this way? Why do you think that Paul thought this way? That I was faithful. I told the truth. I pointed people to Jesus. I finished strong. I gave more than I took. Why do you think that he thought in this manner? Because I believe that there's one relationship that he identified that we all take more than we can give. And that's in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus gave up far more than 
He gave far more to us than he could ever take from us. How can we repay Jesus for that? We can't. We can't. Jesus said, when we have done everything you were told to do, we should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. That's from Luke, 27, Luke 17, 10. So because I can never repay Jesus for what he has done, I want every relationship on earth to be characterized by a legacy of giving more than taking. With my wife, with my kids, with my family, with my career, my finances, my resources, my talents, my time. Lord, teach us to think about death so that we might learn how to live. What spiritual legacy are you leaving today? What do you want to be remembered by? See, oftentimes, these sorts of ideas or statements are written on somebody's tombstone, right? Paul would have needed a large tombstone. Because this morning we only identified five statements. I think there are probably more. But I think Paul's tombstone would have said something like this. It would have said, he was faithful to do all that Jesus told him to do. He told the truth. He directed people's attention towards Jesus. He finished strong. And he gave more than he took. What phrase do you want to be remembered by today? Not to be morbid this morning, but I want to give you an opportunity to write on your own tombstone. Figuratively speaking, of course. I hope we're not writing on anybody's actual tombstone this morning. Maybe you would share one of these statements with Paul. Maybe you have something else that you want to be remembered by. Under the chairs in the underneath the first chair underneath each row so if you would sit in the second row back there are buckets if you would go ahead and pull those buckets out ushers if you could help us with this um, they're the, on the aisles on the inner aisles there are buckets and in each bucket in the buckets are little tiles little stones and sharpies you would go ahead and pass the bucket down your aisle and everybody take a sharpie and a stone and then pass it to the aisle behind you so we make sure that everybody gets one. When you have it, just hold it there for a minute. When I stop hearing the buckets rattle, I'll give you some instructions here. Everybody get one? We good? Ushers? We good? Over the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to reflect. Take a moment and pray first. I'm going to have you write a phrase or a statement that you want your legacy to reflect. Maybe currently your legacy has looked bleak or the phrase that you would write wouldn't be something that you want to write. Write, some, write a statement that can be made in faith of what you want to target. A goal of maybe the changes you can make, a, a target to shoot for. 
the legacy that you wish to leave. This morning, as we dedicated Zeb, beyond finances, beyond material things, I want to leave a spiritual legacy that impacts his life and every person that he will interact with. As a father, that's my wish. What spiritual legacy do you want to leave? I'll share some of mine, and some of mine I share with Paul. He was faithful in all things. He loved his family. He loved Jesus. He served with humility. He followed Jesus and helped others follow Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, what legacy do you want to leave? What statement would you write? You can write it in first person. You can write it in past tense, however you want to do that grammatically. My wife was like, well, you have to grammatically know how they want to write it. You can write it as he or she, or you can write it as, if you want to put your name, you know, and say Paul, whatever, and whatever the legacy is. But take a moment. I'm going to ask you right now, take a moment and let's, let's write. Let's write what our legacy would be. We want our legacy to be. Let's pray, and the band's going to play, and then you can write. Jesus, thank you for the legacy that you left for us. Not just freedom from sin, but resurrection power to live every day. That we can leave a legacy that impacts the kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? This morning, speak to us what you're calling each of us to do. What legacy are you calling each one of us to leave? What have you done in us, for us, or through us that we can pour into others that will impact their eternity? Father, we open our hearts to hear your Holy Spirit. Give us the words to write. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you take me take a moment and uh, spend time in prayer and reflection and maybe write a legacy statement?